Listener supported. WNYC Studios. From WNYC Studios, I'm Brian Lehrer. This is my Daily Politics Podcast. It's Tuesday, August 15th. Charges brought in Georgia now by a grand jury last night against Donald Trump, as well as 18 other people, for trying to fraudulently flip the certified election results there without evidence of Trump actually having won. In this case, Rudy Giuliani is an indicted co-conspirator. He was an unindicted co-conspirator in the federal case. Also very interesting to me, Trump's White House chief of staff from the post-election period, Mark Meadows, is indicted here. I'm also concerned, and we'll talk about this with our guest, about the safety of the members of the grand jury, whose names typically get released in Georgia. That doesn't happen with federal grand juries. And of course, Trump had that post recently, if you go after me, I'm coming after you, not to mention all his previous threats. Who knows who may act on that? Here's D.A. Funny Willis last night on the essence of the charges. Georgia, like every state, has laws that allow those who believe that results of an election are wrong, whether because of intentional wrongdoing or unintentional error, to challenge those results in our state courts. The indictment alleges that rather than abide by Georgia's legal process for election challenges, the defendants engaged in a criminal racketeering enterprise to overturn Georgia's presidential election result. Racketeering. With me now, Ellie Honig, senior legal analyst for CNN, a former federal and New Jersey state prosecutor. He's host of the CAFE podcast, Up Against the Mob, different kind of mob in this case. <laughs> and he's the author of the books, Hatchet Man, How Bill Barr Broke the Prosecutor's Code and Corrupted the Justice Department. And his latest, which came out this year, he was on for a book interview, Untouchable, How Powerful People Get away with it. Ellie, I'm sure you're logging many TV hours right now, so thanks for making time for us, too, today. Welcome back to WNYC. For sure. I did get to take my tie off for this, at least. So, oh, yeah, um, that's good. You, you you say racketeering with, with this sense of fear that I think a lot of people should, wow, racketeering. But let me try to demystify it for you, because I Please. used to charge it quite a bit in my mob days. It's a really potent tool that prosecutors have that Bonnie Willis is using here, but really it's sort of just a mega conspiracy that you name. You have to prove as a prosecutor, first of all, what we call a criminal enterprise, meaning this was an organization, a group of individuals. Sometimes they have a name like the Gambino family or, uh, you know, the such and such labor union, but they don't have to have a name. And here they're essentially, they're not identified as such, but essentially Donald Trump's electoral uh, apparatus. And then you have to show a pattern of racketeering activity, meaning They got together and committed a series of two or more interconnected crimes or bad acts in furtherance of the the racketeering conspiracy. So it's basically these guys were part of a criminal group and they committed multiple crimes together. So the federal indictment already accuses Trump of trying to steal the election by fraudulently getting swing states to change the outcome. Georgia was one of those states and there's a dedicated Georgia section in the federal indictment. We talked about it on the show. How is this different from that? 
it's way more narrow than the federal case and it's way deeper. So think about Jack Smith's cases. Sometimes you'll hear the expression a mile wide and an inch deep. I mean, Jack Smith's indictment has to literally cover the landscape. It has to cover seven different states where there was this effort to steal the election, including Georgia. It has to address all these federal machinations. And so as a result, Jack Smith does a thorough job, but the entire Georgia section of Jack Smith's indictment, I think, is five pages long. Fonnie Willis is, of course, a local prosecutor in Fulton County, Georgia, and her sole focus is in Georgia, although some of her conduct that she talks about actually a surprising amount happens in Pennsylvania and Michigan and other states. But she basically goes way, way deep within Georgia. She gives us more detail about what was done in Georgia. And the people she charges, a lot of them, were sort of local Georgia party bosses or electoral officials or campaign officials, uh, people who probably would not even have ever been on Jack Smith's radar in the first place. So think of this as a much narrower but deeper dive than Jack Smith's indictment. Ellie, the AP story on this says... In one particularly brazen episode, the indictment outlines a plot involving one of Trump's lawyers to access voting machines in a rural Georgia county and steal data from a voting machine company. Are you familiar with the details of that allegation? Sure. We, I, I think we, if I can say so, I think we broke it here on CNN. We first reported the story over the weekend that that was being looked at. And sure enough, it makes its way into the indictment. And that is? Uh, well, the, the charge is is essentially uh, illegally accessing voter machines, voter machine data. Yeah, the allegation is that not Donald Trump directly, but that members of his legal team, and there are eight lawyers indicted in this case, by the way, um, were looking for desperately for some evidence of fraud. And so they went to Coffee County, Georgia, which I should say is overwhelmingly voted for Donald Trump. I think they probably thought they were going to a friendly venue. And they started working together with these local election officials, people who would have access to the actual voting machines. And the allegation is that they attempted to uh, and and to some extent succeeded in accessing voter data. Uh, now, that's not to say they switched votes from A to B. What they were looking for was any sort of they claim they were looking for was any sort of irregularity. But it is on its face illegal to crack into voting systems without proper authorization. I guess I do wonder if there will be a defense of, well, the county level officials in charge of uh, executing the voting process, they said it was okay. They they authorized it. But I think the comeback to that will be that's not their decision to make. They don't get to break open the voting machines. It's run out of the Secretary of State, the Georgia Secretary of State's office. Not anymore. It isn't. Well, I guess they didn't get away with it. I'll, I'll yeah. assume most of the listeners know about the famous Trump phone call to Georgia's Secretary of State, Brad Raffensperger, asking yes. him to find just enough votes to flip the result. But there's other stuff in here regarding Trump and Raffensperger. The AP story says it also charges Trump with making false statements and writings for a series of claims he made to Raffensperger and other state election officials, including that up to 300,000 ballots, quote, were dropped mysteriously into the rolls in the 2020 election, that more than 4,500 people voted who weren't on registration lists, and that a Fulton County election worker, Ruby Freeman, was a, quote, professional vote scammer. Elliot, it's not illegal for a politician to lie to the public. Is the charge that it's illegal to lie in writing to state election officials for some reason? 
it's it's illegal to lie to an official in writing if you're trying to get him to do something. It's a fraud, basically. It's also, and this is some of the charges here, it's also submission of a false statement to the government. So you're correct. Uh, anyone can lie publicly. Anyone can lie, uh, you know, on the media. Uh, but it becomes a crime when you either formally submit that lie knowingly to a governmental entity, whether it's a court or a Congress or a regulatory body. And if you do it for a specific purpose, then it can be a fraud. And so we do see a whole series of charges here related to, for example, as you said, beyond the famous or infamous, I need you to find 11,780 votes phone call, Donald Trump also sent a letter to Brad Raffensperger, who let's remember was secretary of the state for Georgia, claiming there was all this electoral fraud and trying to convince him or cajole him to throw out some of the votes. Um, there also are incidents when, for example, Rudy Giuliani gives false testimony in front of the Georgia state legislature. He gets up there and just starts uh, ranting about completely false claims of election fraud. A, a big part of this is they attack these two election workers who testified in front of the January 6th committee, uh, Ruby Freeman and Shea Moss. They're mentioned in here because while you are allowed to credit, you know, to attack a person publicly, you may get sued for defamation, as Rudy has here, but it's not a crime. The crime comes in if you're either A, intimidating or retaliating against an election worker, or B, if you are making false claims about them, again, to formal governmental entities. Right. So on the Ruby Freeman aspect, that black election worker who, along with her daughter, have already gotten a kind of confession by Giuliani in a defamation suit against him right. based on these debunked statements that he made about them. AP says one of Trump's co-defendants here, a man named Stephen Clifford Lee, is now charged for allegedly traveling to Freeman's home, quote, with intent to influence her testimony. Now, would that have been witness tampering before their televised testimony in the January 6th committee hearings? Sure. If you're trying to influence or intimidate anyone's testimony, it could be that it could relate to the January 6th committee hearing. But let's remember, there was also an ongoing in this investigation. The DA's investigation has been ongoing since early 2021. So I think that would be the cleaner shot for a, a local prosecutor, which Bonnie Willis mm. is. She's a county level prosecutor. I, I assume that that charge goes to tampering relating to her testimony in Fonnie Willis's investigation. There could be a little bit of a jurisdictional issue. I'm not sure it would be a state-level crime to tamper with someone testifying to the federal Congress. Is Trump charged with any witness tampering? Well, he's not charged with witness tampering in the sort of old-fashioned sense of, well, in the sense he may have committed it in an old-fashioned way, for example, by truth socialing the other day about Lieutenant, former Lieutenant Governor Jeff Duncan, which to me was over-the-top witness tampering. Where I, I don't know that one. What's that one? Uh, yesterday or two days ago, Donald Trump went to Truth Social. Jeff Duncan was the lieutenant governor of Georgia. He's he's since left office, I should say. He's a friend of mine now and a CNN contributor. Um, and Trump just went on a rampage about Jeff Duncan and he's a liar and he shouldn't testify. And, um, and so that, to me, was over-the-top uh, uh, witness tampering. Trump's not charged with that type of Trump directly tampered with witnesses. But one of the means and methods of the racketeering conspiracy that Trump allegedly is responsible for because you are responsible for the acts of your co-conspirators is is the type of obstruction and tampering that we talked about. Listener writes in a text message 
Fonnie Willis was clever to say all 19 defendants would be tried together. This is unlikely, but may draw fire and distract the Trumpies from making their usual false statement about the marriage, the judges, and the prosecutors. What would you say about charging or planning to try the 19 defendants, Trump plus 18, in one yeah. massive trial? Can the courtroom even seat that many people? No, not at all. I, I think it's I, I, I respectful. I, I fully agree with the, the caller that uh, Donald Trump's attacks on Fonnie Willis and these outrageous lies he's making up are unacceptable. I disagree with the caller, the person who wrote in that this was a clever move by Fonnie Willis. I think it was an aspirational move at best. She has to know there's no way she's trying 19 defendants at one. Part of it is a logistical issue. Where would they even do that? And Look, I tried five defendants at the same time, once and four a couple of times. Each of these people has legal teams. There's just nowhere that could house that. Also, the trial would take an impossibly long time because if you have 19 defendants, you have 19 openings, 19 cross-examinations of each witness, 19 closings. And I will add, Brian, the Supreme Court has, in the past couple decades, expressed some real skepticism about what they call mega trials. They do not like it if they haven't ever given a hard and fast number, but they've basically said we should be steer. You prosecutors should be steering clear of double digit people on trial at once because people are entitled to some sense of individualized justice. And you don't want the jury just sort of sweeping everyone all into one basket just based on, oh, how, how are they? How is a jury realistically supposed to keep separate the evidence on 11, 12, 13 people? So there is a I will say this is. Whoever's recording, there is a 0.00 chance that Fonnie Willis will try all 19 defendants at once. How about Mark Meadows, uh, Trump's chief of staff in that post-election period in the White House? He's been described so often, including by his aide, Cassidy Hutchinson, was that her name? Um, yeah. So dramatic in the January 6th hearings, describing him as a central player in the election flipping efforts but not previously charged criminally. What did Mark Meadows allegedly do that would be illegal in Georgia? This is a surprise, the fact that Mark Meadows was charged, because in Jack Smith's indictment, Mark Meadows, of course, is not charged federally. He's not even one of the six co-conspirators federally. He's barely mentioned in Jack Smith's indictment at all. He's alluded to a couple of, I think it's three times as the chief of staff. Um, and so it was a bit of a surprise to see him charged in Georgia. What he's been charged for in Georgia is only two things. He actually has, I think, the lowest number of counts against him on the indictment. One, he's charged with being part of the racketeering enterprise. He's charged with being a facilitator for Trump's plans. And two, he's charged with um, the infamous phone call that Donald Trump made to Brad Raffensperger, the I need you to find 11,780 votes. It's the, And the crime under Georgia law is soliciting a public official to violate his oath, asking a public official to do something illegal. I actually don't think that's that strong a charge against Mark Meadows, because when you listen to that call, he's doing very little of the talking. Trump, of course, is the one doing most of the talking. I mean, Meadows interjects here and there, but I don't know that that's enough to, to hit him with a crime. Hmm. I mean, he knows what Trump's doing. He hears it. He doesn't stop it. But I'm not sure how strong a charge that particular one is. And I, I, I should say this too, Brian. There has been speculation, we don't know, but speculation about whether Mark Meadows is cooperating with the feds. If he is, this new indictment is going to be a big problem for Mark Meadows and for the feds, because if they had a cooperation deal, both sides thought they had everything wrapped up and his liability was accounted for. And now it would turn out, in my hypothetical that I'm weaving here, that 
Mark Meadows has to face a very serious charge by a state prosecutor, bad, which would be bad news for him, obviously, but also for Jack Smith if he was counting on Meadows as a cooperator. Well, if Mark Meadows, of all people, is cooperating with Jack Smith, that would be very bad news for Trump, right? Oh, for sure. I mean, but it's also a very common scenario. I mean, you talk about these RICO cases, uh, you know, Sammy the Bull Gravano flipped on John Gotti, and I don't say that because to, to, they're not comparable because there's no murders here. But I, what my point is that the the underboss sometimes flips on the boss. If you're just joining us, we're talking about the indictments of Trump and 18 others in Georgia now with Ellie Honig, senior legal analyst for CNN, a former federal and New Jersey state prosecutor and author of the books Hatchet Man, How Bill Barr Broke the Prosecutor's Code and Corrupted the Justice Department, and his latest, which came out this year, Untouchable, How Powerful People Get Away uh, With It. Uh, he also hosts uh, a cafe podcast called Up Against the Mob. Listener texts, does guest have any thoughts on why Lindsey Graham escaped indictments for his phone calls, because he also made that yeah. some phone calls trying to solicit Georgia officials to change the vote, right? It's a great question and one that occurred to me. I, I will say that for all the good work that the January 6th committee has done and that Jack Smith has done, they have all tiptoed around members of Congress, right? You remember the January 6th committee subpoenaed Kevin McCarthy, Jim Jordan, because they both had actual conversations, highly relevant conversations with Donald Trump on January 6th, and then the members of Congress proceeded to blow off the subpoenas and nothing happened. They were never even referred for contempt. I, I wonder, I'm speculating here, I wonder if, well, I was going to say, I wonder if Lindsey Graham's status as, as a U.S. senator may have had any influence, but she just indicted a former president and a former chief of staff. I mean, Lindsey Graham, I guess, is still in office, but um, it, it has to be that just that the facts of whatever he asked people to do in Fonnie Willis's view, did not quite measure up to the level of criminality. There are things, as Fonnie Willis notes in the opening of the indictment, you are allowed to take certain steps to investigate and to contest elections through lawful channels. So it, it either it's one of two things. Either she didn't think the facts measured up for Lindsey Graham or she just didn't want to mess with it because he's a sitting member of Congress. Somehow I have an impression from media coverage this morning that this indictment actually has more evidence, including documentary evidence, than the federal one. And therefore, the implication is Trump is actually more likely to be convicted in Georgia than he is in federal court. But that's an impression. I haven't read the Georgia one yet, just the federal. Is that a comparison you can make? No, I don't, I don't quite buy into that because prosecutors have a lot of discretion about how much detail they put into their indictments. You can put basically everything you can put next to nothing. And so different prosecutors are going to calibrate how much they want to put into the indictment differently. And so I, I wouldn't draw conclusions about the overall quantity or quality of the evidence simply from the indictment itself. What I what I think is safe to say is both indictments are are well supported on the facts. Most of the things that you read about in Jack Smith's indictment and this indictment, you read them and you either say, that definitely happened. In other words, it's captured on audio tape or videotape or in a text or something, or that seems to be based on credible witness testimony. I think the bigger problem for both cases is going to be in this sort of gray area of intent. And is it a crime or is it just a political abuse of power, um, which we know Donald Trump's uh, team is focused on as their defense. I'm not saying it's going to be a winning defense necessarily. We don't know at this point either way. But I think the easy part of this case is the facts. 
The hard part of this case is arguing the legalities and the intent part of it. Ellie Honig, senior legal analyst for CNN, a former federal and New Jersey state prosecutor, author of the books Hatchet Man, How Bill Barr Broke the Prosecutor's Code and Corrupted the Justice Department, and his latest, which came out this year, Untouchable, How Powerful People Get Away With It. He's also host of the podcast, Up Against the Mob. Ellie, we always appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thanks so much, Brian. Appreciate you having me. Brian Lehrer, A Daily Politics Podcast, is an excerpt from my live daily radio show, The Brian Lehrer Show, on WNYC Radio, 10 a.m. to noon Eastern Time, if you want to listen live at WNYC.org. Thanks for listening today. Talk to you next time.